All right, today we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series on prayer. Uh, we're going to quick recap what we've talked about the past couple weeks, and then we're going to step into today's lesson, right? So we've been working through, especially using the Lord's Prayer as a bit of a guide for whenever we pray, how we should be praying. And we know that the first thing that we're supposed to do is remember who we're praying to, hence Father in Heaven. We know that our Lord is good and is in relationship with us, but is one that we are called to honor and obey with our lives, right? So we first remember just who we're talking to when we pray. And then we remember what his purposes are. And we pray for his purposes first. May you glorify your name, right? May you be made great throughout the world. And we focus ourselves on him. And then we say, may your kingdom come. May you reign on this earth, both in our own lives and in the world around us. And so we focus ourselves again on who he is and what he's doing, right? And then your will be done. Again, focusing ourselves on who he is and what he's doing and on who matters as opposed to us, right? Because it's not our will that matters first, it's his. And so we again focus ourselves on him, right? Whenever we're reading through the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, there are six different things he says for the disciples to request when they're praying. And three of them are all about who he is and what he's doing. Right? Now that we have focused ourselves on him, we can step into the next part. So let's read the whole prayer again real quick. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or make your name great. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the first three focus on God. Second three, give us today what we need. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And keep us from temptation. Lead us away from it. So the first three are about God and what he is doing. And the second three become what I call personal petitions things for ourselves, right? Now, we know getting stuff is not the main purpose of prayer. Just to get stuff is not why we pray, right? Because Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted, and he completely understood God's will, and so he could ask for anything that he knew was in God's will, and he would get it. He wouldn't even need to ask for it. He could just do it himself, right? So getting stuff is not the primary purpose of prayer. But asking things from your father is not wrong. It's okay. We're going to start with this concept. Ask. Have you guys ever just really thought something was a great idea and really wanted to be able to pitch it to someone who had the power to make it happen? And you would love to see it occur, but you know that you can't do it yourself, but this other party could do it if they would just take the time to pour in what you think you want. You ever seen that happen? You ever had a boss that you know they could implement something intelligent in your workforce, and if they would just do it, things would go smoother? Oh, I see some eyes slowly getting a little bigger, like, yes, I've been here. Or have you ever, uh, goodness... Have you ever had just a project that you wanted to see done, but you didn't have all of the tools that you would need to do this project, but you have a friend who has those tools and you know that if they say yes, you can do it? Or have you ever just been in need of something? Maybe you just had a new kid and you don't have all the stuff you need for it, and you know there are people around you who have what you need who could give it to you easily because they have it already. And if you ask, maybe they'll give it to you. Have you ever just been in that cusp position where you feel like there's something that would fix everything if you had it. If only someone would hand it to you. I'm pretty sure pretty much all of us have been there at some point or another, right? I've been there, you've been there. I'm assuming you have and you have and you have as well, right? We've been there. Fun story. We have, as someone who cares for us, the one who created and currently sustains literally everything in the world. 
And nothing that he doesn't want happen will come to pass. And nothing that he wants to happen will fail to come to pass. He is the ultimate source of power, the ultimate source of everything. And he does love and care for you. More so than you love and care for yourself, I guarantee that. We think of people who have earthly authority over us, and if they would just do the things that we want, we'd be cool. But there's someone who has true authority over us, who has the power to honestly do whatever we want. He could. He won't, (laughs) but he could, right? And one of the things that we are called to do as his people is to ask him for things. Sounds weird to say one of the things we're called to do is to ask him for things, right? But check this out. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus commanding his disciples or teaching them how they should be praying to their father places in that petition a request for their needs to be met today. Does God know what their needs are? Already? Of course. Does God know? Do you think God's ever sitting back just like, man, I really wish I knew what to do for Creed. I just wish I knew what Creed needed. If only he would tell me, because if I knew what Creed needed, I could give him that thing. Probably not. See, God doesn't need to hear us ask for things to know what we need. And so our asking is probably less about getting God to understand something he doesn't know and more about us in some way, shape, or form, right? Why, if God knows everything, would he still command us to ask for stuff? A couple of things to this. One, whenever we read this question, whenever we read this statement, give us today our daily bread, a couple of things tend to float in our mind right now. Give me bread for today. But fun story, daily bread doesn't just mean bread for today. It means bread for the morrow, actually. Give me enough that I won't be anxious for tomorrow. Give me enough that I won't be anxious about tomorrow. And I do want to kick out one thing too, fun story. Whenever God is calling for us to pray for things, and whenever he teaches his disciples how to pray, does he teach you how to pray saying, give me this thing? No. He teaches you to pray, give us these things. He's already assuming that you'll be in community that you will be a group of people and not just individuals standing alone. In the way God teaches us to pray and ask for things, he assumes two different things. One, that we are going to be people who are anxious about the future. Duh. And therefore, we should ask for him to do what is necessary to remove that anxiety. And two, that we are in community and that we are not just asking for things for ourselves, but that we are selfless enough that we are asking these things for those that are around us. Definitely our church, and also all the other people that surround us, our communities, our families. We should ask. Bread for tomorrow, not enough to be anxious. Consider the culture that the people of Israel were in at this time. What do you think most people did for a living in Israel at that time? Toss it out. What do you think? Subsistence farming was the main thing that people did in this area at the time. Who here has ever just considered what farming is like? It's a little bit. Some of you have. Who here has lived on a farm? Several of us. Who here has at least seen basic, like, say, homestead-type farm operations. I'm not talking big factory farms, but just, like, normal groups of home operation, right? Fun story. Whenever farmers would produce food, did they produce one day at a time of food? No. You generally produce an entire season, hopefully enough to make you through at least this season and the next non-growing season, and enough to make it through until the next season comes through. Perhaps a surplus that you can sell to gain money so that you can also buy other things you'll need for those off-seasons, but you don't get everything at once. You don't get everything throughout the year slowly. 
the way that we tend to think of finances today, right? I get a paycheck every week that gets a little bit through. No, you get a big chunk of stuff in two, possibly three points throughout the year. An early growing season, a late growing season, if you have anything that works throughout the winter, you've got a third, right? Things would come in big chunks. So it's weird to me that Jesus would talk to people in this culture and say, give us today what we need for today and nothing else, as opposed to give me what I need to live throughout the season. Give me what I need to make it to the next season. Why did he say it this way? Daily bread. Can anyone think of something that that might kick off or clue into in Israel's past that they might remember about? A time whenever bread was provided on a daily basis for the people of Israel? How about whenever they were traveling throughout the desert? Whenever they were in uh, the Exodus, moving forward to the promised land that they were given? but they were spending 40 years traveling throughout, and they were not at the time subsistence farmers. <laughs> Instead, they were just moving day by day. And the people started grumbling one day. Fun story. Exodus chapter 16, verses 10. And soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness. So first, just to recap, Israel wandering in the desert. God's just taken them out of captivity, saved them, brought them through. And people are like, yeah, awesome. Grumble, 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 grumble. Err, I'm angry, upset. What are we going to do to survive? We're all going to die because we don't have farmlands here. And you know what? This is horrible. We're all going to starve to death. We should just go back to Egypt. It'd be easier. Grumble. Grumble, grumble, grumble. This, by the way, pretty sure, my standard steady state, the grumbling aspect. Right? Ah, uh, I just want a little bit more. This is annoying. Give me more. Why not? I just want this next thing. Anywho, they're grumbling. What are we going to get? And as soon as Aaron had spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they all looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud, and the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as a frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Which is how it got the name manna. Anywho. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Give us today our daily bread. Why, when they are wandering in the desert, would God give them not stores that they could keep forever, but just enough to survive day by day? Whenever this is given, we learn later in the chapter of Exodus that we're reading through, whenever people were gathering the quail and the bread each day, no matter how much they gathered, it was enough for them for the day for some reason. Oh, if they just gathered a little bit, that's enough to last the day. If they gathered too much, that's enough to last the day. If they tried to take that amount and make it stretch and go into another day, it rotted immediately, unless it was Friday. Because if it was Friday, for some reason, whenever they gathered, stretched for two days. Because they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. They were keeping it holy. As they were wandering through the desert, as they were moving towards this promised land, God was teaching the people of Israel one lesson over and over again. And he was pounding it into their heads over and over again. Rely on who? Rely on me, is what he's teaching them. Rely on me. Whenever Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he tells them to ask not for too much, but to ask for what is necessary for us to remember that we rely on Jesus. This call Give us today what we need for tomorrow, what we need to not be anxious. We often in our culture take it as a call to give us enough to survive. But there's a decent chance to people who lived on a massive farming basis would read this and not read it as give me just enough, but don't give me too much. Give us only what we need for tomorrow. Give us just enough that we maintain our reliance on you.
I'm going to fall if I try to sit on this. It's not going to work out. I'm already like, yes, no, no, I can feel myself moving back and forth. I'm just going to drop. And you guys will laugh and it will be humorous. But I might not stand back up because I'm kind of sore from today, from yesterday. Anywho, give us what we need to rely on you, right? Does this mean we shouldn't ask for things? No, we can ask. As a matter of fact, uh, just a little bit different point in the book of Matthew, we see two other verses that talk about prayer and talk about asking for things from God. And we hear stuff like this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. The concept that is being pushed by God, by Jesus, is that it is not wrong to ask for things. And as a matter of fact, he would prefer you ask him for things than not. Because if you are asking for what you need on a daily basis, who are you relying on? If you hold off and only ask whenever something seems to be going incredibly wrong, and oh my goodness, now it's at the point where I'm in trouble and I need enough money to make it through the next two days, if that's the only time you go to God and ask for things, how much are you relying on him throughout the rest of your life? How much of your life are you pouring out to him and relying on him for? Ask and you will receive. Now, I do have to give a small caveat on this because we allow scripture to interpret scripture. I am not what people would call a health and wealth preacher. I do not believe that if you ask for anything, you will get anything. I do not believe if you say in faith, Lord, give me a Mercedes, that one will poof appear next to you nor that you will automatically have enough money to own a Mercedes. And I do not especially believe that if you ask for a Mercedes and take out an extremely predatory loan to get it, that that was God blessing you. That was likely a give me this thing I want. God might say no. Eh, I'm going to do an unwise thing anyway, okay? I'm not saying you get whatever you want. Heck, I'm not saying that you always get the thing that you think would actually be the best and most glorifying to God. If I fell off this chair and broke a leg because somehow I'm sure I'm awkward enough to do that, okay? And I'm laying on the ground with a broken leg and y'all come over and pray for me. I can say in my brain, I think it would glorify God the most if he would heal my leg. And you guys could see me stand up miraculously and go from having like bones sticking out to all of a sudden, nope, no, you're standing and you're fine. To me, that makes sense. That would glorify God the most. Does it actually make sense, though? Will he always do that? Or may he instead teach me not to be dumb and not to sit on things that are stupid and also to learn to not be such an awkward individual? We can say this in a funny way, in a jesting way, but goodness, guys, there are much more difficult and hurtful and painful ways whenever this comes into effect. Consider the loss of a loved one. Consider the loss of a child. We all heard the story of the gentleman in Britain, the young kid in Britain, who developed a severe uh, syndrome in which he lost motor function and lost the ability to move and was in great suffering and pain and despair. And I'm not going to get into the ethical quandary of whether a hospital should be able to do what the hospital did, blah, blah, blah. That stuff I don't care about. But his parents were Christians, and they were likely praying for their kid on a daily basis as he was growing in his mother's womb. They were likely praying for him every day as he was suffering, as he was dying. And he still died. I have absolutely no idea why things like this still happen. I don't. I wish I could give you an easy answer, but any easy answer is a platitude that tends to sound good to Christians who haven't suffered and tends to bite and hurt and sting to any Christian who has actually suffered loss or any person in general, right? Do you here know someone who has suffered an extreme hurtful loss like that? I have. Do you know what I think one of the stupidest things that we can say as Christians to that person is? Don't worry, all things work out for the good of those who love him. 
who are called according to his purpose. Oh, so what you're saying is either it was good this happened to me or God doesn't love me. That's the only two ways that verse can be taken, right? Now, please note, I wholly believe that verse is true. But that doesn't make it an intelligent or right thing to say when someone is in the middle of hurting, right? We can get stuck in platitudes. And I cannot answer how God showed that he loved those parents during this process. I cannot show whether or not that was for their good. I can't prove it. Fun story, I don't have to, though. It's not on me to make that person feel okay. You know what I can do for them? I can pray for them. I can provide them comfort. I can be there for them to cry at. To cry at, yeah, they'd be crying at me, not on me or anything. I could be there. They don't actually know me, so obviously I can't be these things for this individual couple. I can be their friend, and I cannot shrink and get scared whenever I don't have an answer and run away from them. That's one of the things that I think that we as Christians tend to do. If we can't give a good answer to somebody for why they went through a loss, we start to psych ourselves out and get freaked out and say, oh my goodness, what am I going to say to them? I don't know how to talk to them about this. I'm going to say something stupid. Uh, All I can say is there's got to be some good reason, and I don't want to talk to them about it, so I'm going to run away. At the time, at the point whenever their friends need them the most. You don't have to answer for God's actions or choices or designs. But you are called to be compassionate, loving, graceful, to care about the world around you to those around you who are hurting, to give comfort to those who mourn, to pray for their peace. All that to say, I don't know why sometimes God says no. I don't. But it's probably worth remembering this. We seem to have this concept that God is a God who holds back blessing in among himself, sort of squirrels it away and hangs on to it. And then if we ask hard enough or right enough, he'll release some of it, but then hold the rest. That he's a God who if we ask in the proper way, hard enough, sometimes he'll have compassion and give. This is how we tend to see him. Even if we don't actually come out right and say it, this is probably the way that you think about God when you pray. It's certainly the way I do. But it's wrong. God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. Oh, he is graceful. He gives good gifts at all times. You see, the reason why I have this concept that sometimes God holds back blessing until he gives it out is because I misconstrue what blessing actually is at times. Uh, Or I ignore the ways in which he has already blessed me and cared for me, and I don't even notice them. And so all I see is whenever I don't get something I want, let alone acknowledge whenever I am handed things that I didn't even know I needed. Let's talk about healing again for a second, right? We do know that miraculous healing can happen. Did in the Bible. I believe it still can now. We also know it doesn't happen all the time, right? And so we tend to think of healing as a thing that occurs whenever something absolutely tragic happens and an emergency needs to happen to step in. Otherwise, God wasn't really doing anything until that point. Right? But... Not the way it works out. Do you guys want me to freak you out existentially real quick and possibly give some of you a crisis of conscience and crisis of faith and possibly worried about your lives? Ready for this? Everyone sitting in this room, statistically, has cancer cells in their body right now. Everyone. Here's why. Because your body is a broken down piece of this world that consistently mutates regularly. And one of the things that happens is your body mutates cells and they eventually 
uh, mutate in a way in which they grow exponentially whenever they're not supposed to. It's happening to all of us at all times. But constantly, our immune systems are identifying and noticing the cells that are doing that and killing them and stopping it. Y'all are currently being cured of cancer at this moment by something God put into place and currently sustains. It's happening. It happens by his will. He is doing it moment by moment. We don't notice it until something bad happens. <laughs> we don't notice it until something bad happens. And then we say, hey, why didn't you do it? And he's like, I did it for 47 years, or 12 years, or 32 years, whatever. I sustain you. I made your body this way. I ensured it was working in this proper manner for this long. Why do you assume that I don't care until now? God gives and gives and gives and gives. Notes, though. Sometimes we get anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry, do not be anxious about your own life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his or her span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love how that verse ends more than anything else. We're called to not be anxious about tomorrow, not because we can expect that tomorrow will be awesome, Remember, he said the grass of the field is clothed in splendor and it's picked up and plucked and thrown away. He says, don't be anxious for tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of its anxieties itself. You can be anxious about them then. Tend toward or worry about today's troubles. Be anxious for today. We borrow trouble, don't we? Oh, Lord, I do. I borrow so much trouble. I've spent the past week anxious about this coming week, next week. And I've wasted a decent amount of this week because I couldn't get out of my own head and not be worried until the day it was worth being worried about. Was it worth being worried about that day? Sure. Is it worth wasting my entire life being worried about it now? No. And also, it demonstrates a lack of self-reliance or lack of godly reliance on my part and demonstrates that I'm relying on myself. If I'm wasting all of my time trying to fix something that happens in seven days or two years or three months, if I spend all my time pouring out into the future like that, I'm making a couple of assumptions I probably shouldn't be making. One, the fact that I have a future. <laughs> I don't know what God's plans are for me. For all I know, a meteor may hit this building right now and just take me out. And then y'all can really laugh about the fact that I didn't fall out of my chair. If only he was sitting in that chair spot, he would have been fine. No. Okay. For all I know, I could die tomorrow. How much was it worth me wasting my time worried about three weeks from now 
instead of spending time on what mattered today. It's not worth it. Ask for what you need for now, not what you think you need three years from now. I want you all to consider back your lives five, ten years ago and think about the things that you were asking for back then. Consider them. And then consider where you are now and how much those things you would have asked for then actually matter to your daily life now. Oh, if only I could... uh, Let me go back 15 years for you. Lord, if only I can become a chemical engineer and make just enough money to be happy in life. And by just enough, I mean super good amounts of money, guys. That's what I really wanted to make, right? And just let me do that for like 40 years. And then I promise, once I've done that and I've retired with my million set aside, then I will become a pastor and take care of what you want me to do. I'll do it then. And God laughed at me pretty heavily. (laughs) No. And he gave me a definitive answer, no. And I gave him a definitive, well, I'm going to ignore you. Then he gave me a more definitive no, we'll say. Right? Just super definitive no. Like, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. I asked. He answered. I didn't like his answer and ran. He said, my answer still stands. Right? And while in my brain I thought that would glorify God greatly because, man, I would be so good with all this money and would give it away perfectly and only spend, like, on two or three awesome cars. Possibly, like, just, just a couple of things, right? Just some fun things for myself, but whatever, right? He'd still get, like, most of the glory. He said no. He made me go to school to be a pastor. And then laughed at me harder and made me be a church planner. <laughs> and then laughed at me harder. And took me someplace I never thought I would go. I am far happier now than I bet I would have been if God had given me what I begged for back then. I'm pretty sure God has been glorified more too. Pretty sure. Not positive, but pretty sure. God gives. Here's the kicker, though, and this is one that we actually have to take in. Whenever we ask, we can expect an answer. We cannot expect that answer to be yes. We can hope for a yes. We can't expect it or demand it. Paul, again, we talked about this last week. We might as well mention it again. Paul himself, a man who is one of the main progenitors of the Christian faith we have now, one of our forefathers who spread the gospel throughout the world, especially to Gentiles, which pretty much all of us, I would assume, bear some measure of gratitude to him for carrying the gospel to the Gentiles, right? This Paul begged God for him to take a thorn away from him, a thorn away from his flesh, likely a physical ailment. Begged God to take it away. Three times it says he asked, And three times he received an answer. So he asked and he received. But the answer he received was, his grace is sufficient for me. Side note, I guarantee you are not good at this yet. Hearing no and saying his grace is sufficient for me. And how do I know this? How how can I guess that you probably aren't that good at that? Because Paul, the guy who, you know, was one of the main founders of worldwide Christianity following Jesus because for some reason that guy's act is the act he had to follow. No joke, laugh, it's fine, come on, no giggles. Okay, asked this more than once and had to be told it more than once. Paul didn't learn it the first time he asked. He had to ask again. He didn't learn it the second time he asked. He had to ask it again. Three times he asked, three times the response came back, my grace is sufficient for you. So I'm assuming that if you ask and receive a no, 
it's cool if you don't get it right away that his grace is sufficient for you. You can ask again. You'll probably get the same answer. God is a good father. At one point uh, in the book of Matthew, God is, Jesus is relating to uh, uh, the disciples how he can, they can trust that they can ask their father and he will give them all good things. And he points out to and he says this, who among you, if your son asks for bread, would give them a stone? And who among you, I don't even remember the next part, what? What's the next one? If they ask for something, they're given a snake, right? Yeah? A fish? Ask for a snake, ask for a fish, is given a snake instead. No, know that your father, if a regular father knows how to give good gifts, your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts even better. Side note, I bet you that means that if you are hungry and ask for a rock, your father knows not to give that to you. And he won't because he's a good dad. No matter how many rocks my kids want to eat, my response will be, no, don't do that. Have something better for you. Right? If you ask for something dumb that's going to hurt you, guess what God's answer is going to be? No. Do you know why? Because he loves you. Right? Here's the final kicker, though. If we as his people are called to remember that his will should be done, his kingdom should come, and one of our primary purposes as people on this earth is to carry his message forward and to do his will on this earth, fun story, that means that sometimes whenever God gives, sometimes God gives through us. This is a message of the gospel over and over again, too. Sometimes God gives through us. There are so many times whenever God, or Christ, I'm sorry, whenever Jesus is explaining to his disciples how they're supposed to act or to behave or what they're supposed to do, and what comes back over and over again is you are called to be generous to those around you. If someone around you is hungry, you are to feed them. If they are thirsty, you are to give them drink. If they are naked, you should clothe them. You are called to care for those around you. You are called to meet the needs of those around you. Some of those people will be praying to God, Lord, give me what I need to survive today. Please give me the food I need to survive today. And sometimes God's answer will be, church, step up. Give them what they need. You may be someone's answer to prayer. You need to be willing to be too. Fun fact, this is one of the few times whenever God, Christ says, praying is insufficient. If someone comes to you and is hungry and naked and thirsty, and you say, go, be warm and well-fed, basically go on, I'll pray for you. Jesus says you missed the point. Instead, meet their need. If we're praying that God gives those around us what they need to survive daily, it also will turn our eyes to those around us and call for us to be like Christ. And if he gives and gives graciously, what are we called to do? Give and give graciously, right? To give self-sacrificially. And we know that God gives self-sacrificially. Christ gave what we ultimately need. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, meaning it is not so much the physical things around us that we actually need. Our greatest need is for God himself. We need God himself. And God himself gave us that in Christ and his sacrifice. He met our greatest need on the cross. He gave us relationship with him where no relationship was promised. Nah, that's the wrong word. Where no relationship was available to us before. We could not make it happen on our own behalf. We could not pull it from our own accord. But he, in his death and his resurrection, purchased us and gave us relationship with the Father that we desperately need. I could be hungry 
I could die, and I am better off today because I know Jesus, and I have received what I eternally actually need. He gives good gifts, and he is open-handed, and he wants to give you what you actually need to rely on him. One more story, two more stories. First one, about 10 years ago, I was at a point in my life where I was scared to ask God for something. See, here's the deal. I was a lonely, lonely man, very anxious about life, never been in a real relationship, wished I could know what that was like, And I didn't even know it at the time, but this is one of the things that meant so much to me. I so wanted to be married, to know my wife, to love, that I held tightly onto that and would not ask Jesus about it. Is there anything you care about so much that you are scared to ask Jesus about because you don't want to know his answer I was scared to talk to Jesus about finding Christy (laughs) because I didn't want him to say, no, you are not called to have a wife. Meaning, I did not trust Jesus would actually do what is best for me because either he would give me what I need, and that is Christy, or he would give me what I need, which is not what I was asking for. I didn't trust him. I held this in. At one point I was talking to a friend, hanging out in his backyard raking leaves, and we were talking about this, and somehow I exploded out the fact that I was lonely and the most lonely person ever. And like just so lonely all the time. And he's like, dude, have you talked to Jesus about this? (laughs) Like, no, why? Because I don't want him to say, no, you're not supposed to be married. that's dumb. What he matters matters more than what you want. What he wants matters more than what you want. And I actually, the guy actually said, you said you haven't prayed about this. When's the last time you asked Jesus about this? I'm like, I have not. I have not. I cannot remember the last time I asked to be in a relationship. I got nothing. And I finally broke down. I'm just blubbering in the back of this guy. Just just picture snot and sadness and just weepiness everywhere whilst raking leaves. All right, just Put that image in your mind and remember it forever. And I'm breaking down and raking leaves. And that day I went home and prayed, Jesus, I am lonely. I want companionship. Can I meet her? And like literally two weeks later, Christy walked into church for the first time. And I had my first conversation with her three days after that. And I was bawling my eyes out because I felt like I had just met my wife. And I had. Jesus just needed me to actually rely on him before he would give me what was actually in his plan to give. That last part was in his plan to give is the important part. It's not what I want, but what he wanted to do already. But he wanted me to rely on him. Right? Right? Having said that, there's a much less fun example that I also have to give here. Sometimes God gives through us, and sometimes we can miss this point. Guys, uh, a while ago, you guys know we have a benevolence fund, right? But you also know we're a relatively small church. We don't have a ton of stuff to give, right? Uh, We don't have giant food pantries and stuff. We don't have things of that nature. And so one time I was, I received a phone call. And I get phone calls at the weirdest times for stuff sometimes. And I answer all of my phone calls, which I've actually stopped doing because voicemail's nice, right? I love it. But I would answer my phone all the time. And I got this phone call whenever I was in the middle of doing something random, and a person asked if we have a food pantry. And I said, no, I'm sorry, we're a very small church, so we have no food pantry. Want me to look up some of the other churches in the area that have them? Sure. So I went to my little booklet. I've got a bunch of paperwork and whatnot from other organizations we work with that have food pantries. And I looked through them, and I'm like, here's all the ones that are available tomorrow and this day and this day and this day. 
And the person was exasperated and said, this is horrible. You know what, I just, I got laid off from my work two days ago. I'm waiting for Social Security to kick in. I've already been to the office, but none of the places that I've gone to have had availability for us yet. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Man, that stinks. You and your kids, you say. Man, that's sad. All right, I'll be praying. I'm sorry we don't have a food pantry. I wish we did. It'd be so helpful if we could. He said, yeah, I know. Thanks, and hung up on me. And I went back to my day. It's like normal. Okay, phone call done. Now I can keep doing spreadsheets, which are my super important job as a pastor, right? So many spreadsheets, so many spreadsheets. And like 20 minutes later, my brain went, well, that was horrible of me. I'm a bad, bad person. Because I know that even though we don't have a food pantry, we certainly have people who would be willing to buy groceries for a family who doesn't have food today. I know we have plenty of those, right? We've got them. And I called the person back. And I wish I could say there was an awesome resolution and we took care of this family. I never heard from them again. We might have been that family's answer to prayer. We might have been able to provide them their daily bread. My prayer is that God did so through another means and that I'm not an idiot and hurt this family heavily and push them away from the church. But I don't know. I wish I could tell you I was perfect and didn't do stupid things like this sometimes. But I'm not. We can all stand to improve, right? you see someone in need you may be their answer to prayer and your God loves and loves to give and sometimes he loves to use you to do so whenever we ask we don't ask for more than we need or enough to make us sufficient apart from God we ask for enough that we can be sufficient of him And whenever we ask, we don't just ask for ourselves, we ask for those around us too. That they could have what they need to have their needs met by God. And we remember that our call as his hands and feet on this earth are to answer these petitions whenever we see them too. As much as is humanly possible. And we trust the non-humanly possible parts, he'll take care of. I cannot solve the world's hunger needs on my own. I'm not big enough, strong enough. I don't have that ability. I can meet the needs for individuals around me, though. And God is big enough to do that. And I trust that he will at some point. (laughs) But don't be afraid to ask. The worst you'll get is a no. And you can trust that if you receive that no, it's actually better for you than if you had received a yes. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for me too. Let's take a moment and pray silently. And then we're going to receive communion together. And we're going to remember just what kind of gifts our Father gives to us and lavishes upon us. And then we're going to worship him again. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Oh, silent. I'm sorry. Ignore me. Silent prayer at first. I'm a talker. Father, meet our needs today. No more, no less. Give us what we need to remain 
relying on you. Father, I don't want so much that I can become self-sufficient because I'm going to be honest, I know that that's my nature. That if I don't have need of you, if I don't see how much you're providing for me, if I don't see how much I need your care and your love, then Lord, I forget just how much you're doing for me and how much I actually do rely on you every day. So Lord, give me just enough to not be anxious for the future, but don't give me enough to take away my reliance on you. Father, give us what we need to survive. And Lord, we ask for more. We ask for abundance. We ask for blessing. We ask for the ability to do the things you've called us to do. We ask for whatever will glorify you best. But Lord, we ask knowing that it's not our will that matters. It's yours. And it's not our kingdom that matters. It's yours. And it's not our name that matters. It's yours. So Lord God, may you be glorified in however you choose to give. And may we give you glory, whatever your choices are to give. And may we trust that you give good gifts. And that, Lord, your name will be made great regardless of our current circumstance. Teach us contentment in our station. And teach us to rely on you. And may your grace be sufficient for us. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to be taking communion together. Would one of y'all mind grabbing the communion elements from the back table and bringing them up front for me? Thank you very much, Joy. Ladies and gentlemen, we know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, take and drink. This is my blood, a new covenant poured out on your behalf. Do this in remembrance of me. As we partake in communion as his church today, remember that you are remembering the gift your God has given to you. His own broken body and blood poured out on your behalf that you might have relationship with him. He gives freely of himself. And there's nothing we need more than him. We have what is considered an open communion here at City, meaning that if you are a follower of Christ, you're welcome to partake with us regardless of creed or confession. Please feel free to come forward along this row and partake of the body and blood and return to your seat when you're